0: Welcome to the Airlight Podcast. I'm David L. Eulen, Airlight's editor, and today I'm talking with Christos Ikonomou and Karen Emmerich about writing and translation, particularly Ikonomou's story, A Dreadful Consolation, which appears in Airlight this week. Ikonomou is among Greece's preeminent contemporary fiction writers, the author of four collections of short stories, including Something Will Happen You'll See, and Good Will Come from the Sea both of which Emmerich has translated into English. Emmerich is an associate professor of comparative literature at Princeton and a translator of modern Greek poetry and prose. She received her PhD from Columbia University in 2010. Ikonomu will be the inaugural recipient of the Chowdhury Prize in Literature, a new annual international mid-career prize for writers presented at the University of Southern California through the auspices of the Shubir and Malini Chowdhury Foundation and in collaboration with Kenyon College and the Kenyon Review. The prize seeks to identify authors who are at an inflection point, with a body of work already behind them, but also with significant future potential. It is this future work the prize means to encourage. It is not a retrospective award, but rather one that is intended to actively assist writers on the creative cusp to push ahead into new territories. Ikonomu, Emmerich, and I spoke together on a Zoom call from three different time zones Athens, New York, and Los Angeles. So why don't we just start and I think the w- let's let's start with some background information. Um I, I want to get a sense from both of you about how your working relationship um started and I don't know if that begins if I begin that with with you Christos or um with you Karen. I know for the for in terms of translation Karen you had told me that you had pitched um the first book to Archipelago. It was um it wasn't it was something uh, Christos's work was something that you Came upon and then wanted to um, wanted to share. So maybe that's the best way to start, and then Christos, we can kind of move it, uh, come back, come and, and talk about it from your point of view as well.
1: Yeah, I'd be really curious to hear the story from Christos's point of view because I remember when we met first <laughs> at the coffee yeah. shop in Athens. Um, you know, I have a really really strong memory of that moment, and I, I also have a strong memory of you know walking into Politia bookstore in you know downtown Athens. And I was just looking for something to read on vacation. And you know, it, um, it the cover caught my eye, I happened to pick it up. It had won the prize. So it had this sort of banner around its cover. Um, and then I immediately was just like, I just loved it. <laughs> I just loved every single word. And I think, I, pro- I don't even know how I got your email. I tracked you down somehow. Um, and I just said, I want to translate this book. Um, and then, you know, Archipelago, I had already been working with. And um, when Jill read some of the stories, you know, she was blown away too. But I'm curious, yeah, do you, I have a terrible memory. So, who says, maybe you have a better, you know, memory of this.
2: That's, that's, that's how I remember things too. Yeah. Uh, your email. And then uh, uh, we, we met, uh, we met in a coffee shop in uh, downtown Athens and we had a, First conversation about uh, the book and uh, how 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 you you were thinking of proceeding with the translation and all of these things, and um, I had I had uh, I think a couple of translations already about the book in in Italian I think and in, in French, and I always you know thought that uh, translating one of my books into English will be something very difficult because of you know, the situation with uh, the translator, translating uh, literature into English. And yeah, that was, that was a Great surprise for me, and uh, I always, um, I had already, I already knew uh, Karen's work because it's this is a very big name in here in Greece, Um, as far as as, uh, you know uh, translating Greek literature into uh, English is concerned. So yeah, that was was great for me, and it was yeah I'm. He, she has done his superb work, really. I mean, Karen, you're the best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny, though, because I think that we, I mean, this is not answering your question, David, necessarily, but I think, um, I, you know, when I translated this story for, um, for the magazine, I picked, like, the hardest. I don't know if you agree. It feels to me like the hardest possible. But there's something about it. It's just so pleasurable, and I think, you know, um, I think that there's something, something about about the way that you write and I would write if I were a writer, right, <laughs> that they just work together really well. And so it doesn't it like those, all of the hardness, all of the difficulty and the puns and the, you know, you know, cultural references and all of the stuff that you're doing with language and the really long sentences, um, it like, it, it's just so much fun. <laughs> so, Yeah. And I would just note also that um, Jill Schoolman, the editor of Archipelago uh, Books, then after after um, putting out the first uh, Something Will Happen, You'll See, signed the next uh, collection of short stories without ever having read it. Just she had that much confidence in Nicosia as a writer that that she was willing, I didn't tell her to, she did it first. <laughs> and then, um, and then the book sort of came to me. I mean, I had read it, but I, I, I was so pleased. Uh, Cause that's, that's a really, I think it's a pretty rare thing for a publisher to do too. Yeah.
0: Just, yeah. Um, I think to sign a, uh, sign a book on unseen. And then are they planning to do, I know there, there are other two other books that have not been translated into English as of yet. Are they, uh, are they planning to do those books? And, and this story is, is from one of, is from one of those books the story that the Airlight story
2: that is right yeah uh, i don't know <laughs> I, I don't, don't
1: know no, i mean we haven't had a conversation about it um i guess we should because now a couple of a couple of them a couple of the stories um from the next book of short stories that just wrote are available in mm-hmm. english like we've done translations
2: did you so, hear about the opry the old henry prize no.
1: i did david did you hear i did not
2: Ah, yeah, uh, we're, gonna, story- we're gonna
0: we're gonna break some news right now. This is great. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, one of the stories that um, uh, from this uh, from, from from my most recent book, "Volcano Daughters," that um, Karen has translated, has won the O. Henry Prize.
0: That's fantastic! Congratulations. Is so that that's the story that appeared last summer in the Yale Review?
2: And yeah.
0: Review. Oh, yeah, that was a lot. That's a fantastic. Yeah, that's that, it's a great story. That's wonderful. Congratulations. I'm really happy to hear it. Um, let me ask you, Christos, I, you know, I'm a uh, I, first of all, I do want to say I had a similar reaction when we were first kind of um, looking at at um, possible Nominees for this prize, um, you know. Reading, uh, I immediately um, was captivated. From I can't remember whether I, 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 which of the two books I looked at first. Good, will come from the sea, or or something will happen. You'll see. But, um, but you know, from the first story, I thought, "What is this? Who, who is this? What am I in the presence of?" And I was completely captivated, both by the voice and the kind of assurance of the prose, but also by the sort of social vision and the kind of humanity of, um, of the stories. And I know that you've talked about in the past about um, writing about you know a sort of, how would I put it? Um, writing about culture and politics or the culture and politics of the times and of the characters you're writing about, but through that lens of personal interaction and character um, detail, and you've resisted the idea or the label of being a writer of the austerity. And I wonder if you, can, if you can talk a little bit about that kind of bigger vision when you're, when you're looking for a story or when, you know, when a story idea is coming to you or when you're just sort of, you know, um, taking things in. What makes, you know, what, what makes a particular thing a story for you? you? You talk about knowing Piraeus, but also not wanting to have all of your characters be echoes or reflections of yourself. Um, which I think is a really really essential idea in terms of this kind of broader social vision and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how those different Im- influences or impulses operate a- in your writing.
2: Yeah um, the, the first thing is that uh, I have uh, I have never uh, some kind of an uh, you know of an agenda and it's not like i you know i I am thinking that I, now I will write a story about, uh, you know unemployment or poverty or whatever i i, I don't do that I, I i cannot do that it's i most of the times um, my stories come in a you know through a voice i mean <laughs> i i tend to listen to a voice in my head to hear a voice in my head and if this voice keeps coming again and again and on and on then I start to pay attention to what this voice is saying to me. And uh, I think that most of my stories are, I, I have written most of my stories in, in, in this manner. I mean, with, the, with that voice in my, in my head. And then what I am looking uh, for always is for, you know, genu- genuine sentiment, genuine feeling, and some kind of interesting, interesting language. That's two things that I pay a lot of attention to. A genuine feeling and an, an interesting language. I'm, I'm not sure if I can explain it, what is an interesting language to me or what is uh, uh, genuine feeling for me, but I, I, I can feel it. I can feel it. And then I, I, I start to, to, to write whatever is it. I, I throw it on the paper i don't i mean in this first draft i never pay any attention to pay any attention to you know structure or characters or all these things the details i try to to put the heart of the story on the paper that's something that's very important for me because i want to capture this this pulse you know this 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 beating heart of the story and uh, for me that is the most important thing that a story that I, I I write is something that it has a beating heart within. It's something that is uh, I don't know if it's. <laughs> uh, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. So that's that's the that's the the main concern for me. And then I start to think about the story, if if in, whether it has any you know. Uh, Social or political, um, if I can, if, if I can attach it to, to something that is going on right now. But I, I yeah, I've, I I I have never understood why the. I mean, I mean, I, under, I can understand it, but I, it's not, it's not something that I I I want for my books to be read through. Uh, a very specific uh, political and social climate. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I always think that, you know, the writer is someone who st- stands on a crossroad and then and there it's a meeting point with their time and their place. But, the, but for me, it's always a, 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 a dimension of, um, of something universal and something that goes and something timeless. And uh, so that's that's how I usually perceive my stories with with a kind of of uh, through the eyes of eternity or something like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, Karen. In terms of translation, I want I want to talk. And, Christos, I know you are, have done have been a translator as well, and I'm curious about that. Can you talk a little bit about the process of sort of translation and the re render or the rendering of the work? How to make the story come to life in in a language that isn't its that isn't its original language?
1: Yeah, and of course, I mean it's a different every time uh, with every you know piece and every author. But I do I like that you know Christos just talked about voice as being where things start a voice in your head and then also trying to get the beating pulse of this like voice uh, you know the story on the page because it seems to me like as as soon as I as soon as it feels like the voice clicks, then I feel a confidence of um, like being able to translate the, the, his stories are incredibly full of wordplay, you know, things that are so specific to the language that you really have to, or like I, as a translator, feel like my job is not to make, you know, I don't have to, have the pun be in the same place necessarily? If I can, that's great. But I have to be punning. <laughs> like I have to sort of have the same kind of voice, and that's that's more important than the sort of specific content of a given word or something. And there's sometimes, like in the people come from the sea, there were there were passages that were just like really riffing. You know, it would just like. There would be the underlying you know wordplay that would go on for pages and then there would be you know even like more turning up the volume turning up the volume so sometimes as a translator like that's that's one of the reasons why I take such joy in translating Christos's work because you really have to turn up the volume like <laughs> um, it's not it's not about sort of like oh let me you know pick some meaning up from this page and dump it down on this other page like which is translation is never that anyhow but it's really about a performance um, and it's just like so fun. And I think it's something that's made me find new tools. Sometimes Um, I find myself incorporating a lot more Greek into the English, like with with the story that I just did for the magazine, I, yeah, I just, I had to find a way of uh, like working in some Greeks so that certain kinds of puns would work. and yeah, I just, I do also, you know, it's interesting to see the way that the stories are received and sort of filtered or or packaged as sort of literature of the crisis or whatever. That doesn't feel like what they are to me at all. And of course, there's a reflection on precarity, you know, in, in many of the stories, but I think the sort of st- like the, the the heart of the stories to me is always about rel- like specific people having specific relationships yeah. in a way under conditions that are historical conditions.
0: Yeah, I think that precarity is, I mean, is, is, is absolutely kind of, I mean, certainly it's a political or economic precarity, but it's really an existential precarity in the sense that, you know, all of us, I mean, all of us are facing that kind of precarity just by virtue of being breathing um, creatures on, on the planet. And so I think there's something really um, interesting and, and, and profound about that. As I say, not that it minimizes the crisis, but that the crisis is just one of the factors of, of precarity and that, that come into play. I want to talk a bit about the story, A Dreadful Consolation, which we're publishing um, in Airlight. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, I think as I was saying before you came on the call, Karen, I was saying to Christos that I, you know, I don't read Greek, but reading the translation of the story. I was aware, or I mean, the translation made me aware of some of the wordplay in ways that I wouldn't have been aware of if I were um, if I were reading just a kind of by the numbers um, translation of, um, of of the story. And so, I mean, let me let's start let's start, Christos, let's start with you in terms of writing it. And Karen, I want to talk about how it was rendered. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating about the story is that it seems to be both a kind of it's a little different from some of the other stories that I've read, but it's also, uh, it's also kind of, I I don't want to say, I guess a recapitulation in certain sense of of various kinds of themes. And, and, and one of the movements that I really love in the story, I'm going to try and not spoil, I'm going to try and not spoil this for people who haven't read it, although hopefully they'll read the story first and then hear (laughs) the conversation, but you know, the way that it moves from, you know, in the initial kind of the initial tension or the initial conflict, which is someone who's lost his job, and can't tell his wife. And he's waited three weeks and he's just trying to figure out when am I actually going to say this? And then all these things happen. And at a certain point in the middle of the story, and I don't know if this is true in the Greek version, it shifts from first person to third person. And it shifts from present to past. And then that that closing section when he comes home and he's sort of going over what happened and thinking about it as as an actual story and it's got that kind of you know that kind of metafictional sort of component going on. All of these movements in in you know in a tiny space in seven eight nine pages um, of of writing. Can you talk a bit about kind of how this story evolved?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, you know it's some kind of uh, hallucination. You know, it's uh, it's uh, uh, and I, I I I try to to do something that. Uh, actually i have never i had never did before because it, it, it it's actually about you know a story about writing a story mm-hmm. that's that's the and uh, i i i wanted to to try to do something like that because i have always i feel always this urge to to, to open up the horizon you know to try to do new things and uh, go to to new places and all these things and uh, i think that if I were to, to, to put the whole effect of the story in just a single word, that would be this. It's, it's something like a hallucination thing because it's something that I feel very strongly, very strong about it. Because most of the times when I write a story and then I go back to it and try to rationalize it, try to think about what I have done. I'm in loss. I mean, I it's like being in a in a in a state of trance. It's like being out of my uh, like an out of body experience. You know, I, I cannot recall many things, and uh, that's uh, that. I tried to this feeling of of getting lost in the story and in how how you perceive the story. I tried to put it on the paper, and uh, I I tried. To, to do it in a more in a in a very compact way, you know. I don't because that you know it, it creates some kind of dynamic because it's a it's a it's a, a story that tends all the time to go to all to all, all over the place, you know. And I, I try to, to 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 get it back to get it together. And that that was for me all these movements, as you said. It's um, it was very. It, it, it was a big challenge for me. And I, I I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I want to, and that's, uh, that's how I try to do it.
0: Karen, can you talk a bit about some of the challenges? I mean, you were just talking a little bit about them, but specifically some of the challenges of translating um, this story, both I think in terms of those those movements and those tense shifts and those person shifts, but also in terms of the, the illusions. I mean, there's even illusions um, to, Christos's own work, right? There's a, at some point, you know, the, the the wife says something will happen. You'll see, which is the line that makes me laugh every time yeah. I, I read it. <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, just because I mean, so part of the like, oh, writer about procurity, like the stories, not just this one. They're so funny. <laughs> They're really dark and serious and hard and violent, but they're also really funny. Um, so that was one of the, it's like a challenge, but it's also a pleasure to to try and make things funny. Um, I mean, one of the things about the, so there's the, um, the, the name of the wife is Andriana, which is a, you know. Um, and the, the guy is saying like, oh, I have to man up. I have to be an Andras. I have to be a man. And so right. and like, what kind of a name is Adriana for a woman? Anyhow, you know, so that's a pun that I have to sort of work in. But then there's like um, the story in the beginning proceeds as a series of like, then I do this. Meta, I do this, you know, meta, 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 then, then, then. Um, and meta then becomes this sort of like, um, uh, meditation on like meta-ness <laughs> afterwards, what comes after the state of being now. So it was like, there's these two paragraphs that are just, you know, r- really, really um, like funny and and complicated for a translator. I have no idea how they, you know, how they come across in English, but I was trying, like when I read it, at least as a person who's who understands both Greek and English, I think they're funny in English too. Like having you know, highlighting um, this person as someone who, you know knows that, oh, in English, it's easy. You just stick a post on everything, you know, and and you have done with it. You call it a day being able to play on the multilingual on the fact that like all most places are multilingual places, right? So that there's like some they're they're like translingual puns that are happening. Um, and and then that gave me the freedom to sort of, You know, I I think I added a couple of sentences, but either you didn't notice or you thought it was fine, (laughs) but I said like, oh, we could, I have this part where I say we could probably keep it going in English too and do, you know, do X, Y, and Z. So I just like play a little bit more. Um, And that's something that I learned actually from Alison Waters in a translation she did of um, uh, prehistoric times. And I'm not going to name the author because it's, I don't know how his name is pronounced, um, but you can look it up on the Archipelago, archipelago website. And like, she has this, there's this passage where she has a footnote at some point and the passage is saying like, oh, I don't know how the translator could possibly do X. And then she translates that passage, but then there's like a little footnote and she just kind of riffs on it and rewrites the passage. And that was the first time when I was like, whoa, you're allowed to do that as a translator. <laughs> um, so I would, you know, uh, just like hat tip to, to Alison Waters there for to to making that seem like a possibility that it's okay to add a sentence as long as your author says it's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the, I mean I love the whole riff on the, the meta riff, but particularly even on sort of, you know, where what happens with uh, with a, a word that starts with a vowel. Does it just sort of, is it like, you know, do you, do you have to put in a hyphen or do you just sort of bleed it directly? And, and so, you know, what's fascinating to me is that these linguistic concerns, how words are made or how they appear on the page, um, become part of the fiber of the story, not as like an intellectual conceit, but as part of the emotional movement, the kind of periphery, as you, as you were saying, um, as you were saying, uh, Karen. I'm curious about this. I want to talk a little bit more about this, about the kind of collaborative relationship um, or conversation, let's say, between writer and translator. And Christos, I want to ask you first, both from the point of view of the writer, but since you have done, uh, have worked as a translator and have translated work um, into Greek, does that, um, what's, what is your, what's your sense of the kind of creative relationship of the, um, of the writer and the translator, and then Karen, I'll ask you for your thoughts on this. Well, as well, I hope they, I hope they line up, and that we're not, we're not, we're not creating a divide here. Um, but Krista, you can talk a little bit about, you know, both from the point of view of having been translated and into a variety of languages, and also your own kind of experience uh, from the other side of the desk.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you know, uh, it, it's it's like. Uh, you know, um, it's like walk- walking together. It's it's two persons that are walking together and not always at the same, di- uh, you know, direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, um, the translation of, of this particular story um, by Karen, uh, I read it and I I, I instantly felt, and uh, it, it was very, very, very moving and very, it was a very, very beautiful feeling that, uh, she gave my text a new dimension. She took the text and put and push it t- to some other direction, and uh, that was something that it's. I mean, I I I I I found new things about the story through her translation. Uh, I'm completely honest about it. I mean, I mean it. I I, I I saw new things in the story through her translation, not through the original text right so that that's that's for me, for me i mean that's the the you know the, the greatest compliment you can <laughs> you can do to to, to the translator I mean, to, to put it to to take the text and uh to, to give it new dimensions without of course you know dis- distorting the the text and all these things and i i think that uh one of the one of the of the assets for a translator and uh Karen, Has it? It's uh, this sense of of. um, Karen has a superb sense of rhythm of the language of the rhythm of the language. And for me, and as a now I'm speaking as a translator, too. That's very important to take to 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 take this to take the text from this language and put it to another language. But you 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 have to try to 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 keep the rhythm or to give rather to give a, a new rhythm. To, to the language, to, 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 to capture the rhythm of the, the language. the You know, the, this there is this, uh, the prosody, you know, the melody, the, the flow of the language. And that's for me, for me, that's very important as a writer and as a translator. Because I i always, I mean, at least for my stories, I always uh, i have thought that it's, uh, it's a good way not just to, to, to read them, but to listen to them. So rhythm is very, very important for me, uh, and also I think that's uh, uh, one of the one of the best things about Karen's work is that she has a, a living relationship with the Greek language. I mean, she's not a translator in in her desk. You know, she knows things, uh, a lot of things about Greece and culture and all, and that. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to speak for her, but I think that helps, right, Karen? I mean, if you you have a kind of uh, you know things about. I mean, you you know Greece. It's not that's you know how things work here, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, pandemic has put a put a Ah. um, a pause on my travel, but I. I think. Thank you, Chris, for what you said. Also, because it just like I was actually getting, you know, like that's so. It's so kind <laughs> um, to think that you could see. You know, I think of translation as sort of interpretive work, right? And so you're giving. A, I'm giving you a view, and um, right. and sometimes, uh, yeah, it, that. So that it does feel like high praise to me, and I recognize it as such, and I and I really appreciate it. Um. But I think, yeah, it does. One of the things that I feel as a translator is really important is to know when you don't know something and to know that you, yeah, sure. You know, like Greek is the language that I speak in my daily life. And, you know, and, um, but I also have a huge network of people who can help me when I don't know what something is. (laughs) So that, and that's something I think like, Translation is also a collaborative work, the same way that other forms of writing it are, so, and that's something that you get from a lived relationship, right? Like, you have a network of people <laughs> who you say, hey, you know, what is this weird word that feels like it's probably, you know, Cretan <laughs> or something, like, whatever, and then somebody helps you with that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued by this. Um, I'm intrigued by the idea of it sort of, of that interpretational quality. It almost feels to me, I'm going back to what Christos was saying about rhythm and melody, that you're coming in as the translator and essentially performing your own version of the score. You know, I don't want to reduce it to the idea of like a cover version of the song, but in some way, you know, if, if the writer is performing the, the piece in some way when he or she is first writing it, you as the translator are performing it in a different way because you're using a different, um, obviously it's a different language, but it has to be somehow rhythmically or musically consistent, I, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Let me ask you about short stories, my favorite form of all, um, and you're a committed short story writer. Um, and I want to get a sense, and, and, and I, I also I'm curious about translating stories as well. But I, I want to get a sense from you, Christos, about the appeal of the short story or the draw of the short story as a kind of um, primary means of um, of expression. As you as you were just saying when we were talking about um, the story that is in airlight, there's something so condensed about it, and there's so much happening within it, but happening um, in this very, very, very narrow space, the space of, of a single reading, right? You know, 15 minutes or so, you could read, read that story. Um, I'm curious about, you know, both aesthetically and in terms of its kind of punch or its power, um, what is it about the short story that's so um, attractive?
2: Uh, it's brevity, first of all, I mean, it's, and it's uh, also, I think, of course, uh, <clears throat> novel has its own uh, <clears throat> challenges, but, uh, the short story. It's uh, it's a very challenging form. I mean, uh, I know it sounds uh, commonplace, but it's uh, it's it's really a very at least as I th- see things, it's uh, something that it's very demanding, because you have the story and you have to do it with intimacy. We have to do with uh, with clarity. We, you have to do it. Uh, we, in a very uh, in a fast way, you know, and you have all these things that you have to to put together, but at the same time you have to 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 be very careful because you don't want to 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 burden this to put too much weight on the story because this, the story for me is always like you know like a boat you you cannot put too many things on the boat because it will it will sink it will go, it will go down to the bottom of the sea so you have always it, it's an act of a, it's an act of balance every time so yeah that's and that's I, 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 I don't I don't mean that uh, no, again novel has its own the novel has its own uh, challenges and all these uh, things but the probably the most the most uh, important thing for me about Short story is this sense of rhythm. I I think that uh, you have you can have a novel and sometimes a great novel that has some uh, uh, you know a false rhythm, right? But I don't think that you can do this with a short story. In the short story, you are you you know you are naked in the broad uh, daylight. I mean, if you if you take if you take a a false step, a wrong step. It shows to, the, to 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 the reader because it has. They have just you know. It's you, like uh, poor uh, said. It's in one sitting. You know, you you read a short story in one sitting. You know, so everything that it is wrong in a short story, it will come up instantly. On, on the same. On the other hand, with a novel. Because you have, uh, you you need more time to read it and all these things. Some things that are, you know, maybe wrong. It will be it's it's it will be more easy for the for the reader to put it behind and go on and all this stuff. But I don't think you can do that with uh, with a short story. And for me, it's again, it's a very it's, it's a big challenge. and I want to take this challenge because that's <laughs> that's how I uh, that's what I want to do. I want to, to you know to to get in and get out as fast as I can.
0: You know, I was just, it's funny you said, I was just thinking about that as you were talking. In a novel, um, I've read plenty of novels that I admire where they fall apart in places or they don't always work, but they're so, they're big. So I can either... Put that away, or I'm not expecting it to be consistent throughout. But in a short story, particularly a short, short story, um, one you know, one thing out of place can can throw the whole thing off kilter. And so I, I think that's absolutely right. Karen, is there for you in terms of translating? Is there a difference in the challenge or the approach to um, translating a short, self-contained piece of work or a longer? Um, or a longer work, or is it just simply the, the you know, is, am I making too much of this? And it's simply that each work brings its own set of um, of challenges and requirements to, to, to the process.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think if, I mean, you know, when, if you're dealing with something that does feel sort of um, not crystalline, but like everything, the boat can't sink, the boat also can't sink in another language. Like, <laughs> you have to make, you have to keep things afloat. And I, but I guess I would say, you know, just to note how, you know, your books, Chris, also, you know, they're short stories, but they're also connected in some way, or there are echoes, or there are characters who get referred to in other stories, you know. Um, I wouldn't call it like a novel in stories by any means, but they sometimes that can also be a challenge because you're sort of, there's a different kind of map balance and so if something gets sort of phrased in one way in one story and then the phrase repeats or even you know good will come from the sea that phrase keeps on coming up in the course of the book but it's not the same every time um and so making like preparing the ground for the phrase around it because the phrase can't change so the surrounds sort of have to allow it to like thrive in its local place, but then also across the stories. So there are those kinds of challenges that come up with your work particularly. But I, yeah, I guess I haven't really thought too much about the difference between translating long prose and translating short prose in those terms.
0: I want to ask um, just before we uh, before we wrap up about that kind of the the construction of the collections because I've noticed that as well and I, I and it's one of the things I admire about the collections um, is the fact that they are framed as books they're not just sort of you know here here's here's a bunch of stories and you know here's this the, the here's the stories from the last couple of years and I'll and, you know so in terms of your own kind of conceiving of the books Christos um, at what point does that sort of larger Shape And I feel it's a, an intuitive shape too, or that conversation, let's say, between the stories in a book. At what, at what point does that begin to assert itself? Is that something that you're aware of and looking at from the beginning? Or is that something that once you have a kind of mass of stories, you start to see how they're in conversation with one another, it kind of develops from that?
2: I think it's different every time because, um, I mean, uh, in Something Will Happen You See, I, and uh, in Good Will Come uh, From the Sea, uh, I think I started with the sense of the place. I mean, there, I, 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 I was thinking about uh, finding some way to, to, to connect, the, connect one story with the other through the sense of the place. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the first book is uh, Piraeus and uh, is the stories are set in Piraeus and the neighborhoods around the port and then the the the, the, the other book is set on an, an unnamed island somewhere in, the, somewhere in the Aegean sea and uh, that's that's uh, that's how I conceived this uh, two but um these two books and the the, the other book the mm-hmm. volcano daughters uh, It's a little bit. It's a little bit different because it's not. There is not. uh, The 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 place is not. Doesn't play such an important role in the stories. But uh, there is other. You know. I always try to find some kind of uh, of uh, of some kind of ropes that tie one story to the other. And uh, I. I try to find in the Volcano Daughter what what this rope, this kind of uh, connection will be, and I think there the connection is that you know, uh, I mean, one obvious uh, connecting thing is that uh, most of the uh, protagonists, in the story are are women in the in the in this book are women. So yeah, I always try to to to. Um, i try i always um, try something different but for me the most important thing is that i that was very right it was quite right that you said i always uh, see the book see see the stories as a book i i, I don't i cannot work other way i mean in any, other, in, any in any other way i know that are, many writers do different things there are writers who just collect stories and Put them together. I cannot do that because I want to to create a world, you know, a world, uh, something like a small universe. So I need to put the, all these things together. And uh, I always think what I write in a, in in the light of a book of of something, you know, uh, big. So yeah, maybe it's uh, that <laughs> one of the reasons that I have not. Uh, I uh, have never tried to write a novel or, I don't know, because it's, uh, you need to, to I like, uh, I like this, all these little bits coming together.
0: Yeah, it feels like a neighbor. I mean, even if it, I mean, it's interesting to think about it in terms of place, which I, I, I think is right in those books, but it feels like a neighborhood. It feels like the kind of, like we're moving through a neighborhood in the way that, we would if we were moving through a neighborhood and encountering different people and different lives and overhearing different kinds of kinds of things. And I think that that is some that quality of sort of almost overheard or um, caught glimpsed out of the corner of an eye aspect is certainly for a city dweller is so is such a recognizable kind of rubric and
1: such a way of moving through the world. I think it's really powerful.